Will you pray with me? God, you have led us into worship this morning. Sure, we have people standing up here singing the songs and playing the instruments, but God, it is your spirit that goes before us and fills this place. And so now, Lord, as we, as we take the time to open up the scriptures for a few moments, it is our prayer that any of the distractions that are going on in our minds, any of the, the things that are distracting us from you now, that you would silence those things and that you would allow us to focus in on who you are and what you're trying to tell us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Yesterday, um, Kim and I were driving in the car, and along the side of the road, you know, there's billboards everywhere, but along the side of the road, there was like a long line of billboards, one after another. But from the distance, I noticed one that caught my attention, and it said, God is a myth. And then there was a picture of a flying saucer on there. To which I thought, no, he's not. And so I wondered, like, what if I got, or, or, you know, if I had the money, what if I rented the space right next to it and put, no, he's not? You know, yeah, amen. And, and I think oftentimes we spend most of our time trying, or here's what I have found, that we defend God to other people. And I think we sometimes have to defend God to other people, whether it's because somebody is saying God's not real, or people are saying God is real, but then they're saying it in a very negative way. And so I sense, as a Christian pastor, that I'm having to defend Christianity um, because people have gotten not a very good idea of what Christians are really like. I met, a, I met a lady this past week, and we started talking, and she knew I was a pastor. And um, she says, you know, I don't go to church. I'm not really a Christian. I believe in God, but I'm not really into all that, you see. And then she went on to tell me that she has a sister who she says that she's a Christian, and she has Christian music on all the time, and she knows Bible verses, but the way she actually lives her life, it's not very Christian-like. And so I felt like I had to tell this lady, I said, but don't judge God or all of Christianity on one person. Uh, the more I went on to talk to her, I realized that her sister had actually been through some very, very traumatic experiences as a young girl that have now shaped who she has become. And so I told her, instead of worrying about being a Christian, just worry about loving her because that's all that she needs right now. And so I, I think, though, that when we do defend God and when we do defend Christianity, our words, they don't go very far. Words, I mean, they say, what is it? Um, words, it's just lip service. The Bible even talks about people who are believers and they say all of the right things. But Jesus says, but that's, they say it with their lips, but their hearts are hardened like stone. They say it with their lips. They say the right things, but they're really not convicted of who I am and who I have called them to be. Words are cheap. Outward expressions like symbols, you know, like the music and the this and the that, are, are, um, that's cheap. Because anybody can act a certain way for a short amount of time. And so, for me, as we are dealing with the sermon series that, is, that we have titled, I Am the Church, which should probably be, We Are All the Church, is that each one of us must take responsibility for being God's representative in this world. And so instead of just saying nice words, I want to show you what the scriptures is calling us and how we are supposed to live, or not supposed to live our lives, but how God is inviting us to be a part of his message. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. And this is what it says. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world. 
You were dead through the trespasses of the sins in which you once lived. Maybe we could say it this way. The kingdom of heaven is anywhere anyone has passed from death to life. Do you know what that's called? There's a, there's a Christian term that we use for passing from death to life. Do you know what that is? Not, well, it's not, that's the literal one, but I'm thinking of another word that Christians use all the time. Salvation. Salvation. You were once dead, but now you are alive. That is what it's called to be saved. Though we were once living in sin and sinners, though we were once far apart from God, even if you didn't know it, I was sharing a little bit of my conversion story this morning with the young adults, and the funny thing is that there was not one moment in my life, I I was born and raised as a Seventh-day Adventist, I will very likely die a Seventh-day Adventist. My story of conversion, there was no drugs, there was no alcohol, there was no rampant partying, there was none of that. I've come to church 95% of all of the Sabbaths that have been alive. Okay? I wear the right clothes most of the time. Okay, I, my story of conversion was very different than somebody who was maybe doing a completely different kind of thing, right? Who are maybe living their lives differently. But here's the thing. Although I wasn't drinking and partying and doing all the stuff that preachers tell you not to do, I was, however, living a very selfish life. I may not have been doing the bad stuff, but I was still living badly because I was living selfishly and only cared about getting my way all of the time. I only cared about my own happiness and gratifying my own desires. That's what I cared about, but nobody saw that because it, because it wasn't external. Does that make sense? My story of conversion has been that God has slowly been working with me to go from living a selfish life to living a less selfish life because I think in the end we all are still a little bit selfish. But to pass from death to life is to say that I no longer want to live just for myself and for my own happiness, but I want to live in loving service to God. And the way that looks is that you love one another and you love God. That's an easy message. I preach it every day. And yet, it's the truth. See, for Paul, as he's writing this letter, he's saying you once lived in the pattern that was based on the way of the things that the world... Wow, tongue twister. What Paul was saying is that we once lived pattering, pat, with a pat, our lives patterned, sorry about that, patterned after the way the things are going on all around us, which leads us to the next part of this teaching. Romans 6, 3-6 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Baptism. I was just having this conversation. (laughs) is more than a declaration. It's more than just the thing you do because Jesus did it. It is extremely meaningful because in it, right, we are a religion that has a lot of symbols, right? There's a whole book in the, in the back of the Bible that is symbolic and metaphor. So we do things that are symbolic and metaphorical as a church. Baptism is probably one of the most important things that we can do as a Christian, 
And the reason is this. Because we, as the scripture says, when we are baptized, we enter into the death of Jesus, but then we are resurrected as we, and this is the symbol, and I didn't get the other text on there, but the symbolic representation is as we go under the water, it's death. As we come up, we are resurrected. And what does the Bible say? Into what? The newness of life. This is not something about something that's going to happen in the future. Baptism is about you're entering into the kingdom of heaven that is manifesting itself here and now, and baptism is an initiation into that. Now, can you still experience the kingdom of heaven without baptism? Absolutely, yes, you can. Okay, God is huge. God is big. God is not going to turn you away even if you're not baptized. You know what I'm saying? If you, wanna, if you are searching for God, he is not going to turn you away. But what this teaching is showing us is that the baptism is symbolic of being dead and then given new life. Because remember we said we once lived in the pattern of this world. We once were dead in our trespasses. Now... Because of baptism, we are given the newness, the resurrected life. Maybe we could say this. You and I are a part, or, or rather we are a resurrected community. Which is why it is important that churches be the place where we display the best that we have to offer. Which is why churches should be the place where we actually love really, really well where we bear one another's burdens really, really well, where we help one another when the other person needs help. We are a resurrected community. And as we come out of the waters, we are given the newness of life. Now we're going somewhere because this morning we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. And as I was working on this sermon, I was... um, um, every week we, 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 we focus our music, our songs, our scripture, our call to worship. Everything usually is focused around the text that we base the sermon on. I don't know if you guys knew that, but just look at the songs next time and you'll begin to see whatever our sermon series is, whatever the sermon for the day is, everything will be trying to point towards that scripture that I base it on. So as I was working this week and, I, and Kim and I were gone for a couple of days, so I had to get it done by Tuesday. I remember emailing with Genevieve, who is in charge of finding all of these songs, and we tasked her with the difficult task of that. I said, I think, I think this is going to be like a two- or three-part sermon because there is so much to say about the kingdom of heaven. And so this morning, we're focusing on a very small part, and all that simply is is who you are. So now we move on to the next text. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters... By the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I need to give you some background for you to really understand what this means, because this sounds great, right? I appeal, you, I appeal to you to be a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, if you were a good Israelite, you would go to the temple that God had set up with, you know, he started with Moses and he actually he gave Moses how it was supposed to be and built it and all this stuff. If you were a good Israelite, you would bring a sacrifice to the temple. And yet depending on what your sin was, whether it was a guilt offering or just a regular offering, whatever it was, you would bring a different kind of animal and then you would offer it as a sacrifice. And this sacrifice was supposed to somehow... Um, either give you forgiveness or your pain, your dues or whatever it was, but it was something that was, it was very sacred to them. 
it was important to them. If they didn't bring stuff to the temple to sacrifice, they would be viewed as maybe backslidden Israelites, if there's such a thing. So it was important. So when Paul, Paul, a couple thousand years later, he comes on and he says, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The word sacrifice would have rung a bell in the first century. And they would have said, wait a minute, that was done away with a long time ago. We don't sacrifice anything anymore. Paul is not telling you to kill yourself. He is saying instead, a sacrifice is a gift, an offering you would give to God. So what he is saying is, by you living your life as a gift and offering to God, that is your spiritual worship. Worship, it's what we do here, but we do this for what? How many songs did we do today? Five, six? Takes what, 15, 20 minutes? That's one facet of worship. But according to the scriptures, worship is how you interact with the world around you. And so he says, be a living gift to others. Now, life in and of itself is a gift, amen? So God already has given you the gift of life. You can either keep it for yourself, as was my experience, or you can learn to give it away to others. And by give it away, I don't, I don't, I, all I simply mean is to serve others. Now, I know what it was like to live selfishly, and I know what it's like to live less selfishly, because let's be real, I'm still, I can still be selfish, I know. But for you to live the life that God has called you to live, what he is saying is you can keep the gift and that's fine but it's not going to be very meaningful, or you can use it as a living offering, as a living gift to anyone and everyone you encounter. So Paul uses the word of sacrifice, but he offers it with a new twist. Let me put it this way, and I have to read this because you can either live a life where you are a blessing to others or a curse. Every one of you knows people that are a blessing to you. And you also know people who are a curse, who are mean, who are not very nice. Jesus is saying, you can be a blessing or you can be a curse. I guarantee you, if you look back this week, you could probably make a list of a couple of times that you were a curse to someone. Can you look back, though, and define where you were a blessing to someone? You see what I mean? It's even... As followers of Jesus, we're not always blessing, but we must strive to always be a blessing because that is spiritual worship. Here's another way of saying it. You can live a life where you always get what you want or you can compromise sometimes. If you're in a relationship, you know compromising sometimes is okay. You can be, and I'll put it this way in a very simple way. You can either live your life being mean or being nice. How about that? Is that truth? Okay. Your life is a gift. To be a living sacrifice is to offer all that you are, all that you have to serve others. And by being a living sacrifice or a living gift, you are worshiping God. See, we think worship only happens here, but worship is what you do out there. Are you living as a gift to God? 
Now, I have to, I have to read this because I have it underlined in my notes, and so if I don't do it right, it won't come out right. And, it's, and I say this. We read the passages about the angels in heaven who fall before God, right? They cover their faces, and they say, holy, 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 holy is God Almighty. And I think sometimes when we read that, it's like, man, I want, that must be the most sacred, the most awesome place in all of the universe, that the angels are in the presence of God, and they are saying, holy, holy, holy are you. But in reality, as awesome as I'm sure that might look like, you do the same thing by how you live your life. Are you saying holy, holy, holy to God by what you do with your gift of life? Or are you simply just keeping it for yourself? The temptation is that we keep the gift to ourselves The temptation is that we don't live a life that gives honor and glory to God. The temptation is for us to live selfishly, greedily, I don't think that's a word, self-centeredly, and always thinking of yourself. We're going somewhere here, by the way, and you're going to see where we're going in the next verse. And then Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and true. Perhaps we could say it this way. The kingdom of God is any time, anywhere people are living where they have broken out of the mold and rejected the thinking of the world around them. Does that make sense? The kingdom of heaven is any time one of you rejects the mold and the pattern of the world that has gone around us. The reason churches sometimes are broken institutions is because the people of the church have become conformed to the way of the world. And what I mean by that is, I'm not talking about drinking, partying, sex, all that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that the prevalent way of understanding the things in this world is you are out for your. I mean, no one is going to look out for you, right? Don't get too close to anyone because then they might betray you. It's every man for himself. It's a dog-eat-dog world. That is the pattern of the world because according to the scriptures, we are actually to care for one another. According to the scriptures, we are to bear one another's burdens. To give life to the kingdom of heaven is that we actually allow the scriptures to transform who we are and in doing so, we give voice to God in this world to others. The kingdom of heaven, part one, because there's part two, part three, I don't know how many more parts. And that's not good for a, a planning aspect, but scripture speaks and we have to listen. But the kingdom of heaven is anytime, anywhere you are living out the way of Jesus when you interact with other people. Now, you may think to yourself, David, 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 how old are you? You know, 30 something, 20 something. And you're probably thinking to yourself, that's all good and great, Pastor, but you don't know the way the world is. I do a little bit. It's all good. Like what you're saying, Pastor, it's great. You know, be conform- do not be conformed by the world, but be transformed. And we hear what you're saying, bear one another's burdens, love one another, serve one another, be nice to one another, compromise. And you guys are saying, we know that all sounds good, but it also sounds a little bit naive, Would you say it sometimes sounds a little bit naive that we could live in a world where people can actually be nice to each other? But that's what the scripture is calling us to do. Break away from the mold of the world. If you think that sounds naive, let me me read to you the words of 
someone else that probably wasn't naive. Jesus says, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go also a second. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That sounds a little naive, too. And yet it's still true. You see, sometimes we think that, well, you know what, we, I mean, this world is so messed up and there's so much sin and so we, can't, we cannot let our masks down. Well, I'm saying, yes, we can. We must live with a new imagination of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And this is the place that it must begin to flourish. The church is God's primary agent to change the world around us. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't have dedicated my life to this. If I didn't believe that the local church was the last best place to show God's love to the community around us, I would have chosen another job. So I take this seriously, and I invite you to take this seriously with me. Now, we're we're moving, we're moving. We have a few more verses to look at. Just to show you what I've been talking about, Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. The kingdom of heaven is when you bless people and you do not curse them. That is difficult, especially when you have been wronged. And then Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So, uh, last week, we had an incident with one of our neighbors. And I'm, I'm usually a pretty nice guy. None of you guys have ever seen me really get upset. Um, you know, it takes a lot for me to get upset with somebody that's not part of my family. You guys know how that works, right? You can get upset at your family, but everyone else you don't. So we had these incidents with our next-door neighbor, and she, from my perspective, she doesn't seem like a very nice person, from my perspective. And so I, I you know, I had a conversation with her. Because, see, when I'm, I'm a protective person, so when you do something to my family, I get kind of angry, and I go and I talk to you about it. This is a lesson for you guys too. <laughs> and so I went and I talked to her. I haven't been able to pray for her yet. Okay, you can ask my wife after that conversation. I said, I feel like my soul is dead. You know what I mean, right? <laughs> I'm not depressed. It's just I felt the weight of that conversation because I wasn't God's witness to her because I wasn't a blessing to her because I was probably more a curse to her than anything else. I gave a witness and I gave a really bad witness of who God is that day. And it's all that I can do to just ask for God's forgiveness. But I still haven't been able to pray for her. I share that story with you because it's difficult for me, and this is what I've dedicated my entire life to. It's hard. It's not always easy to follow the way of Jesus, which is why it doesn't depend by how well you can follow or how bad you can follow. Your salvation is not based on how well you can follow Jesus because then we all lose. 
Your salvation is that once we were dead and now we are resurrected through the power of baptism. And it is in that that what God is doing through us that he is giving us salvation. Then what he wants us to do is just to give witness to him. You know what? I eat at this place in Chicago, well, when I used to live near there, and I would tell everybody and I would take everybody there. It's the same thing with the gospel except that that Jesus is fat-free, all right? You should be sharing, I mean, who Jesus is to you, not in an annoying, obnoxious way. Please don't go get a billboard. They don't work, okay? But just the way you're interacting with people, just remember this that the interactions that you have on a daily basis either give life to the kingdom of God or they extinguish the kingdom of God. You have the power. You have been called to be witnesses of who God is and what he's done in your life. That is all you're responsible for. And what you do, and, and, and it's serving people, and it's helping people. We just had a conversation this morning, and it wasn't just me saying this, but it was like, it's easy to follow the Ten Commandments and eat the right stuff and dress. That's easy. It's hard to go and help a widow. It's hard to spend time with an orphan. It's hard to go help the poor. That's hard. I don't even think I know any orphans. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we focus on serving, the scriptures say that if you give a thief something to do with his hands, he's not going to steal anymore. So if you give a Christian something to do, maybe he'll sin a little less. If you give a Christian something to do and somewhere to serve, then maybe we will really understand who God has called us to be. To pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now listen to this part. For if you love those who love you, and what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. That's Jesus' way of saying, the people that you think are the worst in society, they do that. That's nothing special. To love people that are easy to love is not Christian. I mean, it kind of is Christian, but that's not what defines us. What defines us is that we can love the people that are difficult to love, who have harmed us and hurt us. It doesn't mean you put yourself out there to be hurt again. That's another conversation we can have at another time. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. By the way, You have to understand that last sentence in light of what we just read. When it says to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, I can pretty confidently say that it's not telling you to be without sin. That would be to take this out of context. People have argued with me about this. They've tried to convince me that I have to be perfect. It's too hard. What this is saying is love perfectly like your Father in heaven loves. We were once enemies of God, and God still loved us. The Bible says it that way. Well, once we were enemies, he still laid his life down for us. And so I will end with this as it leads into next week's teaching. The early Christian church, it talked about believers as people of the way. They weren't called Christians. They were simply called people of the way. Where else does that come up? Where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Perhaps as a church, you and I should strive to be people of the way, of the truth, and of the life.
We'll explore that more next week. God, we are eternally grateful for the love and the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. And so now this afternoon, Lord, as we walk out of this place, um, as challenging as your call is to each one of my friends here, God, we know you are the one who will strengthen, encourage, and uphold us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would simply exalt you in every moment that we can. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.